Establish justice for me, God. Argue my case against ungodly people. Rescue me from the dishonest and the unjust because you are my God, my protective fortress. Why have you rejected me? Why do I have to walk around sad, oppressed by enemies? Send your light and your truth. Those will guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Let me come to God's altar. Let me come to God, my joy, my delight. Then, then I will give you thanks with the liar. God, my God. Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God because I will again give him thanks, my saving presence and my God. That's Psalm 43. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at Psalms uh, 42 and 43 to sort of guide our conversation around mental health, particularly about uh, anxiety and depression. Now, Psalm 42 and 43, they were originally one psalm, one prayer, uh, but then over the years they got split up, which is really quite a shame because Psalm 43 is, is that hopeful answer, that hopeful response to those probing, those troubling, those, those wrestling questions that begin Psalm 42. Psalm, Psalm 42, just to remind you, it, it starts like this. It says, just like a deer that craves streams of water. Just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves you, God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see God's face? My tears have been my food both day and night as people constantly question me, where's your God now? And so the question is, the question is, how did he get from Psalm 42 to Psalm 43? How did he get to that magnificent end, praising God, hope in God, because I will again give you thanks and praise. You are my God, my saving presence. How did he get from the wrestling, from the struggling, from the questioning with God at the beginning of Psalm 42 to this hopeful ending? And maybe the question for some of you is, how did I get there, <laughs> right? How, how did I get to that place? How do I get from where I am? That, that feeling of, of panting, craving for God's presence, crying day and night to saying, God is my joy and my delight. I hope in God because I will again give him thanks and praise, my saving presence and my God. How do I get there? How do I get from hopelessness to hopefulness? Well, it's a Sunday school answer, right? What's, what's the, what is the Sunday school answer? Sunday school teacher asks you a question. What do you say? 
Jesus, right? Okay, good. You went to Sunday school and you cheated your way through all of it. Nine times out of 10, teacher asks you a question. You say, Jesus, you're going to get it right. Unless the answer is like the devil or something, right? But nine times out of 10, you say Jesus, and that's going to get you on the right path. So yeah, Jesus gets us from hopelessness to hopefulness, but it's actually a little bit more nuanced than that. Or more, more precisely, how do we get from hopelessness to hopefulness? Not the Sunday school answer, but the answer from the 90s punk rock band Rage Against the Machine. They said, we've got to take the power back. Got to take the power back. Again, that's not the Sunday school answer by any means, but that's exactly what it is. That we've got to take the power back. Now here's what I mean by that. The apostle Paul says this in second Corinthians chapter 10. He says, although, although we live in the world, we don't fight our battles with human methods. Our weapons that we fight with aren't human, but instead they are powered by God for the destruction of fortresses. They destroy arguments and every defense that is raised to oppose the knowledge of God. They capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Paul says that, that we have weapons that are powered. The Greek word there is dunamis from which we get the word dynamite. We have these weapons that are powered by God for the destruction, the explosion of fortresses or strongholds, your translation might say. And the question is, okay, what, what are these fortresses? If we're not talking about a battle with human methods, what, what is all of this? The fortresses, Paul says, are our thoughts. They're, they're the arguments. They're, they're the lies. That we have these thoughts that have become so established in our minds that they are like a fortress. That maybe you have believed a lie for so long that it just seems impenetrable. It just seems unbreakable, unbreachable, that we just can't get out from underneath it. We just can't escape from it. But Paul says, but but we have the power. We have the power from God to destroy arguments, anything that is raised against the knowledge of God. We've got to take the power back. Paul says, what power is this? It's the same power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power now lives in you. You have the power to decide what to or what not to think about. You have the power to capture every thought and to make it obedient, to make it surrender, to make it submit to Christ. Meaning that you don't have to surrender to every thought that pops into your mind. You are not weak. You are not helpless. That every wrong thought, every misguided thought doesn't have to control you. doesn't have to have power over you. But Paul says you have this power now to take that thought captive and make it surrender to Christ. So maybe I just need to ask you to ask yourself, what is, what is the biggest mental fortress that, that you have? Well, what's the biggest 
mental fortress that you have set up in your mind, that, that, that thing that has just been built over years. Now it's just this monstrosity that's impenetrable, unbreakable, and it's waging war in your mind. It's waging war against you. Help you out. Let me give you mine. For me, it's inadequacy. I've always had this pattern of thought of being inadequate. Got to be on my report card. It should have been an A. Didn't make the team. That's because I'm not good enough. Didn't get invited. That's because nobody liked me. And then that carried on into my adult years, feeling like, like I never can do enough. Never good enough. Never enough sermon, even though I've, I've done hundreds of messages by now, they're, they're never good enough that if I could do everything in my job, which is totally impossible, then I end up neglecting my family and myself. And if I end up focusing on my family, then I feel like I'm neglecting the calling of God to be a pastor, never enough, always inadequate. I'm sure that none of you all have ever run up against the brick wall of inadequacy. But what is it? What is it for you? What, what negative thought pattern or lie have you ended up believing for so long, maybe even generationally, that it has just set up a fortress in your mind, a fortress in your life? Paul says that we have the power to capture that thought and to make it obedient, make it surrender to Christ. And what that means is that we first have to identify it. You first have to identify the enemy, identify the lie, and then you replace it with the truth. And then you meditate on that truth until it becomes submissive to God's truth. That, that thought, that fortress of inadequacy replaced with the truth of God, that I am a child of God, meditated on that so much, so frequently that my mind is renewed and I have a new identity now in Christ Jesus, that I am who God says that I am. I am a child of God. So here's some of the science behind what Paul is saying. Science tells us that once we think a thought, we are more likely to think that thought again. Wow. Amazing, right? That once we think a thought, we are more likely to think that thought again. But behind what that means is that we have these neuropathways in our minds. That we have billions of neuropathways in our brain. That every time you have a new thought, you end up creating a new neuropathway. A new sort of trail in your mind for that thought to travel more easily. That your experiences or your thoughts end up training your brain how to think. And this starts from a very young age, right? You have a baby, the baby smiles, and the adult, the mom, the dad, they smile back, and cameras come out, and they're taking pictures and videos, and everyone's loving, and the baby thinks, oh, smiling is good. That baby grows up, that baby grabs a mom's curling iron off the bathroom sink, and the brain goes, curling iron hot, hot, bad, hot, hurt, right? A new neuropathway is formed. Not that I did that when I was a child. 
But all of those things, those are all true. Those are true facts. That's how our brain should work. But what ends up happening when we end up creating a neuropathway based on a lie? Well, what happens when you end up blazing a trail that leads you down a path that ends up leaving you locked behind a fortress of lies? You get stuck there. You, you get trapped there. You get, as the scriptures say, you get enslaved there. And so, so imagine, imagine this way, a, a visual. The, the youth are about to uh, see this firsthand in a couple weeks on Wilderness Trail. But, but imagine that if I were to go out my front door, walk through the middle of my front yard, turn back, walk back. And if I did that 50 times for a hundred days, same path from my front yard, front door down to the road, what would happen to my grass? Well, slowly the grass would start to lay down. Then the grass would start to die. Then there'd just be dirt, and over time, that dirt would become hardened clay, and I would have a direct path where there should not be when I have a sidewalk, right? So if I think on a lie for a hundred days, that starts to create a path in my mind, I start to believe that lie as true, so Paul says, we're, we're going to take every thought captive. We're going to stay off of that old path that we've been walking down. We're going to go down a new path, a new neuro pathway. And what starts to happen? Well, the grass starts to grow back, right? There's, there's more resistance now when I try to go down that old weary path. And we begin to form a new pathway in our brain that leads to truth. And the truth always sets us free. Paul says this, Romans chapter 12. This is one of my favorite verses about this. Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns, the pathways of this world. We could say, don't be conformed to the wrong ways of thinking, but instead, in place of that, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. We're staying off the old negative pathway and we're creating a new pathway. Paul says, you have the power to do just that. And so here's, here's a simple way to do just that. I say simple, I mean the words I'm about to say are simple. Putting it into practice is a whole nother story. But here's a way you can remember it. You turn your anxieties into prayers. That, that all of those, those what if questions, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, you take every thought captive. No, I'm not going to go down that catastrophic rabbit hole anymore. I'm not going to get sucked into the worry spiral that leads to anxiety. I'm going to take every thought captive. And then you turn that anxiety into a prayer. Instead of getting sucked down that anxiety spiral, you spit it back out to God and you say, God, take this. You turn those anxious thoughts into prayers and you cast those cares on to God, the God who cares for you. Man, I've had to do that a whole lot this past week. 
news of another school shooting on top of everything else. But, but just, just the horror to say another school shooting, uh, another 20 plus lives lost. And here I go dropping my kids off to elementary school the next morning. Just praying, God, keep these kids safe. God, give help, give aid, give, give sound minds, open up deaf ears. God, close pocketbooks if you have to do. God, do what everything, anything that you can do. Turning those anxious thoughts into prayers. Going back to Philippians chapter four, that's where we kind of left off a couple weeks ago. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians four, and it's just interesting to see like Paul's different thoughts throughout these letters. He says this in Philippians four, four, he says, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. I have a love hate relationship with that verse. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers, petitions, along with giving thanks. And then, then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds. Your what? Your minds safe in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Thank you, Paul. Easier said than done. <laughs> But what we do have to keep in mind, maybe this helps us. Paul is not writing this on a midsummer morning on the beautiful shores of Greece. Paul is writing this from a prison cell where he's probably awaiting his execution. And he has the audacity to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be anxious about anything. So maybe we can give him some credit to the crazy things that he is saying here. Don't be anxious about anything while Paul sits in a prison cell, but instead, instead bring everything to God in prayer. Then the peace of God that passes all understanding that will keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus. He goes on verse eight. He says, from now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts, focus your thoughts on these things, all that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Listen to what Paul's saying. He's not saying, just don't be anxious. Just, just don't think anxious thoughts. That usually doesn't work too well, Right. You've been up on a high thing and somebody says, just, just don't look down. What do you do? You look down, right? If I was to stand up here and I say, uh, just don't think about me riding a unicorn right now. Don't think about a white horse with a thing coming out of its head and, and me just riding bareback, you know, grasp around, the, you know, the horn going over a rainbow. What are you thinking about right now? Exactly that, right? That was a random thought, but you're thinking about the unicorn and me on it. What Paul is saying, what Paul is saying, he says, fill your minds, fill your minds with anything that is excellent, pure, lovely, just, admirable, worthy of praise, just like riding a unicorn over a rainbow. Hallelujah. Right. Or, or in the words of Mr. Miyagi, the, 
the new Mr. Miyagi from the remake of it, which wasn't nearly as good with Cobra Kai, Strike First, Strike Hard, Strike, you know, No Mercy. But, but anyways, when they remade it, Jackie Chan played the role, and he said something profound. He said, you need to focus on your focus. Paul says, focus your thoughts. It's, it's a replacement tactic. It's not just don't think about. Instead, no, it's, it's think about. <laughs> think, think about the good things. Think, think about the pure, the lovely, the just, the holy things. That, that if you want to replace the thoughts in your mind, you need to replace them with God's thoughts. You want to renew your mind, then you need to replace the neuropathways in your mind with God's thoughts. Focus your thoughts. Or, or another way to say the same thing, focus your thoughts, is meditate. Meditate on these things. And when we think of meditation, probably most of us go to like Eastern meditation, which, which is a good, it's a great practice. Uh, the goal, though, of Eastern meditation is to empty your mind, that the mind is like a hornet's nest and you need to empty your mind. But the word meditation actually shows up in the practice of it shows up all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And, and what it talks about, Jewish and Christian forms of meditation, is not to empty your mind, but instead to actually fill your mind. One of the most uh, famous passages about this is Psalm 1, the very first prayer in the book of prayers. It says, the truly happy person, the truly happy person, the, the blessed person, doesn't follow wicked advice doesn't stand on the road of sinners and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. They, they don't keep going down that same worn down path that leads to enslavement. No, instead they choose the new path. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction, God's law, and they recite or they meditate. They meditate God's instruction day and night. They are like a tree replanted by streams of water. They used to be out in the desert, but now they're replanted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time and whose leaves don't fade. Whatever they do succeeds. That, that when you meditate, he says, on the Lord's instruction, meaning on God's law, on, on scripture, that when you meditate on the scriptures, you are filling your mind with God's mind. You, you, are, you are filling your mind. You are reading God's thoughts along with the thoughts of Paul and Amos and Micah and Luke and all of that. The nuances, yes, all there, but you are reading alongside of the Holy Spirit, filling your mind with God's thoughts, replacing the clutter in your mind with God's thoughts. The mind still might be a hornet's nest, but you are flooding that with God's thoughts. You're flooding that with God's truth, flooding toxic thoughts with healing thoughts. What I'm saying is read your Bibles, right? Like actually read them, read slowly, think, reflect, meditate. Some scholars say that we need to replace the word meditate in the Bible uh, with the phrase chew on. 
I, I love that. And think about, think about the way that a cow chews the cud. Sort of a disgusting image, but hang with me here for a second. In the morning, the cow goes out, chews the grass. What does the cow do a couple hours later? Regurgitates the grass. And then the cow chews on the grass. Extracts more vitamins, more minerals, more and more. A few hours later, same thing. A few hours later, afternoon snack, same thing over and over and over again until every drop of nutrition has come out from every single blade of grass into the cow's digestive tract. The point is, read your Bible like a cow. The problem is, though, is that we often read our Bibles like pigs, that we scarf it down as soon as it's placed in front of us in one sitting, and then we just wait until it shows up again. Sunday morning comes and you scarf it down, and then you wait until the next week, the next feeding. Read your Bible like a cow, not like a pig. Somebody should tweet that if Twitter is still a thing. I don't know. <laughs> Psalm 1 <laughs> Someone says, recite or meditate day and night, chew on, savor, reflect, digest, think about the scriptures. And then when you go out, you're on your way to work, you go on with your day, whatever it is, and the patterns of the world start to come into place again. That annoying coworker, that annoying neighbor, that, that same to-do list, that same stack of bills, that same anxiety, that same depression, whatever, you regurgitate what you have already chewed on. And then you have an afternoon snack. When the pattern of the world comes into place, again, you regurgitate what you have already chewed on over and over and over again. Read your Bibles like a cow. And what this does is that it takes time. But this is how we renew our minds. Renewing your mind, it takes time. Healing takes time. God does not just zap us into healthy, holy people. I wish that that were the case, but God works on us. God's spirit redirects all of our neuro pathways. It takes time. When Ted Turner said that God is a crutch, he was absolutely right. God is a crutch. God is a wheelchair and God is a hospital bed and God is a doctor and God is the whole hospital itself. Jesus said that I did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Jesus came for the sick and the weak and the broken and the flawed people just like you and me. And he offers us his healing love. But the greater the wounds, the longer it takes to heal the, the, the deeper, the path towards that fortress that has just grown in magnitude over the years, the longer it takes to bring it down. The causes of anxiety and depression that are ingrained deep into the patterns and ruts in our lives and in our minds. It takes time to wash those out and to build new roads to joy. Healing takes time. And so what do we do while we wait for healing? 
We hope. We hope that, that just as the scriptures say, joy comes in the morning. And friends, joy is coming soon. While we wait, we have faith. We have hope. We have love. These are the things that endure. These are the things that last. These are the things that get us through hope. Hope is indestructible. Hope doesn't give up on you. Hope never backs down. Hope never puts you to shame. Hope has a name and that name is Jesus. And the best, the best is yet to come. Friends, you have to believe that. You have to hope. Let me pray for us. God, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to do all the things that the scripture calls us to, or that you would help us to take every thought captive, submit it to you that our minds might be renewed and transformed. God, that, that we could become a new creation through you. God, that all, that all sounds so good. And Lord, we, we also acknowledge that for some of us that that might be today. Lord, for some of us, we, we've been working at it and we might still have years to go just like me. So God, give us, give us endurance. Give us your spirit. And we might persevere. And we might press on and press through. God, that, that we would, we would follow you, Lord Jesus. That, that you are the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You, you have forged a new path that leads to life. God, help us to walk in it daily that we might be made new through it. Help us to find that abundant life that you are leading us to. Leaving behind those fortresses, leaving behind those strongholds that have held us captive for so long. God, may we find freedom through you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.